Hey, it's Jose Galison. You're watching No Way Jose. You can find me on the No Way Jose YouTube channel, all the major audio podcasters, and Odyssey as well. Uh, credit to Justin Campbell at JCamp1521 for that intro. Today, my guest is Sal the Agris. As always, if you're watching this on the 5th, this is a live stream. Otherwise, this will be coming out later, about roughly about a week or so. It'll be public. The live stream is public. Um, so if you want to give me money to be able to get it in the meantime, uh, in that meantime between the live stream and when it goes public after the fact, cause I immediately will put it in like a unlisted private, whatever, uh, you need to be a patron, a patron and the lowest level is two bucks. Patreon.com just no way Jose 2020. The highest level is $20. That's my sponsors. Uh, and I, as such, I read them off every episode. I have CD McRae of the whiskey and tea podcast. I think she's on a little bit of a sabbatical right now. I think she'll be back with some episodes soon, but she's got a couple up there. I know I, I was one of them. So obviously it's worth a watch. Uh, of Jacob Winograd of the Daniel three podcast. He's been a long time sponsor. He's good stuff. He does a lot of the biblical anarchy, anarchy type content. Um, and, uh, yeah, like I said, that's patreon.com. Just no way Jose 2020. Uh, today, the topic uh, I'm covering with Sal is this is continuing our new libertarian manifesto live reading, but we're past the main part of the book and we're into the part at the end that is the, that is the, uh, like critiques because, uh, he, Konkin basically sent this out to multiple big thinkers uh, in the movement at the time when he made this, and they sent back his critiques. It starts with the Rothbard one, so we're kind of starting out strong, and it'll kind of die on with the later critiques. But the Rothbard one's really good. I'm looking forward to covering it. I do want to give you a reminder. We've already covered, did an entire live reading series of an Agoras Primer, which is another one of Konkin's work. I covered that with Caleb Brown. Uh, I have the full one. You can check that out. Uh, I already have the whole playlist. You can get the whole book uh, with obviously with me and Caleb's commentary. Uh, I also have next week, I have Buck Angel coming on, uh, which a lot of people know that's the uh, female to male transgender. He's kind of a, he's pretty, he's, he's pretty hip to the, the, some of the craziest of the trans stuff. And uh, so I think it'll be an interesting conversation. That'll be a fun one to have on. Um, so that'll be next week. That will be the 12th. That will be the, when the live stream is in, is for that. Uh, also we have tomorrow, the sixth starting on targeting. We're starting our April Zyklon showers event, which is kind of our follow up to March, uh, March madness. Uh, if you like the show, you may kind of get the direction we're going there. That should be fun. And I think we're going to finish, we're going to try to schedule that to for the finale to be a, a pretty big event which you've already announced in the last tower gang episode i'm not gonna do it here because i think we may have actually jumped the gun and weren't supposed to announce it yet but if you want to watch the entire tower power episode uh you know you can watch the previous one and it's on there um it's i think it's actually titled april's cyclone showers that episode so i believe towards the end we we get that if you want to watch the entire episode to find out what i'm talking about the big announcement which is going to be super awesome whenever it does happen uh go check that out Use uh, use Top Lobster or go check out Top Lobster at toplobster.com. Use Jose at checkout for ten percent off. He's got all that good shit you want, all the good merch, all the big shows. He's got Tower Power merch, my merch, uh, you know, Natural Capitalist, uh, Lockdown, and we all get kickbacks from that. So you know, if you want to help us grow, especially the Tower Power Hour stuff, because uh, I know all the Tower Power guys, we've all agreed that all that money is going right back into marketing. So we're using it for ads and stuff like that. Uh, with that, let's go ahead and get Sal in here. Hey, what's up, man? What's up? How are you? Doing all right. Well, your volume got really loud all of a sudden. That was weird. I don't know what happened. Maybe you're oh, just talking early. Right. <laughs> you all right? Yeah, you're all right. It's just it was kind of you got booming. Um, 
yeah so you're you're anything new with you or same old same old no man same shit just plugging along looking forward yeah. to taking down some of these critiques here especially yeah. when we get to rothbard well it starts right off the bat with rothbard so which i kind of wish it did the inverse because for the purposes of my show but i'm sure he wasn't doing it intentionally for the purposes of a podcast so you know because it kind of starts out the high point and then kind of dies off towards the end because most anarchist thinkers don't even know who, who the hell affair is i'm only like Sort of, sort of aware of him, and I don't that's, really that, know that, Strauss. It's not good though. More people should know who Bob Lafayette yeah. is. Bob Lafayette is a friggin' anarchist hero. He's a god. People should read him. He has some great books out there. Well, we will, but it will be in the context of uh, this. I mean, there's so much work out there. There's, I, I'm literally like my this. Literally, the laptop I use to record is on a stack of books I'm still yet to read. So I got. <laughs> I got Beyond Good and Evil, Frederick Nietzsche, What Social Animals Owe to Each Other, Sheldon Richmond, The Vintage Mankin, uh, got Anti-Politics here, Coming there to Palestine. Go. I think there's a couple other ones that I can't really see without like pulling them out. So, yeah. Mayweather and Mankin are the ones you should start with. Yeah, well, there's all. it always is like, what do I, what do I get on next? And then, I mean, then I get stuck on something for forever. So... <laughs> But uh, all right, you ready to get into this? We'll start. Yeah. As always, you can uh, stop me whenever you see fit. Uh, this one may be a little bit weird doing critiques because we're going to read the critique and then we're going to want to respond to the critique and then Konkin is going to respond to the critique. So it may be actually interesting to see if he says a lot of the same stuff we do. So as okay. we kind of uh, comment on it as it goes. But right. uh, uh, the first off, it starts with an introduction by Konkin. And I believe this is kind of him giving his why he did this. Um, introduction by Samuel R. Conkin, the third continental strategist, NLA. Um, libertarian is perhaps, libertarianism is perhaps too diverse and pluralistic to produce the kinds of journals abounding on left and right with a fully specified theoretical framework. Adjusting as empirical evidence warrants, but mainly analyzing events and competing ideologies for the purpose of mapping out a strategy for the activist, cadre, cell member, or entrepreneur. Libertarianism is libertarianism says too little, albeit correctly, about too many. It defines who are accepted in society and who are not, but not who are making that society and who effectively oppose it. New libertarianism applies a lens narrowing and to and to anticipate criticism, even distorting but focusing. And many libertarian activists have felt the need for focus in recent years and have sensed the pull of false paths they know will not lead to liberty but to power yet which do not provide focus and direction. New Libertarian Manifesto was the first document to take libertarianism as a given and develop a strategy that, is claim, that it claimed derived from the constraints and insights of libertarianism. As such, it contained the weakness of not having earlier failed examples to build on and refine on. I like that little point right there. Uh, this is kind of a, a rough draft in a sense from the perspective of Konkin, um, his work. Um, with that in mind, the nucleus of the New Libertarian Alliance requested criticism from the major poles of libertarian thought, hoping that the crossfire would weed out the errors and shake down the framework. The poles, as the author sees it, are mostly ably re represented by Murray Rothbard, Robert LaFerre, Roy Childs, Robert Poole, Filthy Pierre, or Erwin Stoss of the Libertarian Connection, and Andrew J. Galambos. All of these are poles or nuclei of orbits of thought and generally accepted as fairly distinct. Galambos refuses to talk to anyone else in the movement, so it's no surprise to receive his non-recognition. Significantly, that's the most appropriate Galambosian response, and so we have it. Childs, the court intellectual of the Charles Co uh, Koch 
owned faction of anarcho centrists refused to reply directly but sent back secondhand dark munderings of an unforgotten slight he'd received from NLM's author years ago, New Libertarian Weekly. I love how petty Konkin is. <laughs> so there's, there's still, um, Koch brothers are still fucking shit up over at Cato. Yeah. So this is this is how far back that that whole shit show goes. Yeah. Uh, I see your question in the chat, Anna Karika. Uh, I don't want to get derailed in that. That's because that's a whole other thing. But um. I mean, if you if you want a super chat, obviously if you pay me money, that'll incentivize me more. YouTube? But huh? Should I be on YouTube? See what see what see what's going on uh, in the chat. I mean, I'll read it. I just don't intend on addressing it entirely because okay. I don't want to get derailed. And that's a long question. Uh, and you know, but, but I mean, obviously, if someone wants to give me money, that's a different story. But for it's, it's just what's the point of being an anarchist if you don't believe in objective morality? Which I mean, I, I don't know. I, I can go down that road, but that's a deep tangent, and <laughs> I don't want to do that. Um, putting personality over principle is the response of the coctopus, then, and accepted as their apt reply to NLM. Poole actually replied to an invitation to criticize NLM and said he'd find someone around the office who might want to do it. The reason bureaucracy failed to disgorge anything by press time after several months' warning, and one supposes that is their appropriate response to NLM. Uh, fortunately, the top of the movement did reply. Murray and Rothbard proved again that neither is he too elevated to stoop to principle, nor, as he indicated by his first footnote, would he let even personal affronts deter him. The same spirit and ideological nobility is deemable to Robert, Robert LaFerre. Filthy Pierre, like the author himself, had a good fanish mentality about locking other publications. The critiques of New Libertarian Manifesto are printed in full. The responses are not. Something had to give in the space requirements. Nonetheless, the nucleus of the NLA views NLM as a well-defended and next issue we will move to the attack. Internal new libertarian criticism and external criticism will never be closed. So to continue the debate, if others wish, SNLA will inaugurate a letters column in smaller type if it gets out of hand next issue. Write freely. And next issue, strategy of the new libertarian alliance number two, Samuel Overkong III and other libertarian and agorist theorists now being solicited will tackle Marxism and especially Leninist model of revolution and contrast it with a new libertarian revolutionary model. And it will try to get a worthy representative of a purist left communist group to participate. It's too early to guarantee SNLA3 yet, but undoubtedly it will carry responses to the publication of Konkin's mass market follow-up to NLM. That is counter-economics, the book, and further incursions to the frontier. For those uh, paying attention, a lot of that stuff was kind of referencing like uh, different, like uh, what would I call them, like pamphlets or any or 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 whatever, like a magazine type thing almost that he had uh, regular things. So it might be a little bit confusing for someone just kind of following along. Like, what the hell is he talking about? Right, but that counter-economics <laughs> book. He um, that one he actually did. He started it and he he didn't finish it before he died. But it's a great book. Um, counter economics back alley to the stars. If anybody's interested. Mm. Well, all right, let's go ahead and get into Rothbard's critique. He goes right into the Konkin on Libertarian Strategy by Murray and Rothbard. Uh, oh, no, it's okay, Eric. I didn't. Th it's, it's, you, I know you weren't trying to derail the conversation. Um, but yeah, no, it's not premiere. The premiere will come out next week. It is good to have new Libertarian Manifesto in more or less systematic form for assessment and criticism. Until now, the Konkinian vision has only been expressed in scattered pot shots and its opponents, often me. It turns out that Sam Konkin's situation is in many ways like the Marxist. 
Just as the Marxists are far more cogent in their criticisms of existing society than in setting forth their vaporous and rather absurd vision of the communist future, so Konkin is far more coherent in his criticisms of the existing libertarian movement than in outlining his own positive agoric, agoric vision. This, of course, is not an accident. For one thing, it is far easier to discover flaws in existing institutions than to offer a cogent alternative. And secondly, it is tactically more comfortable to be on the tack. Um, you know, this is a pretty common critique so far, uh, kind of the utopian critique, which I mean, I can, in some respects, I can kind of understand where people are coming from with that. So, um, one, the Konkinian uh, alternative. In this particular case, Konkin is trying to cope with a challenge I laid down years ago to the anti-party libertarians. Okay, what is your strategy for, for the victory of liberty? I believe Konkin's agorism to be a total failure, but at least he has tried, which is to his credit, and puts him in the class ahead of his anti-party confreres, who usually fall back on fasting, prayer, or each one finding ways to become a better and more peaceful person, none of which even begins to answer the problem of state power and what to do about it. So before I comment on Konkin's criticisms of current libertarian institutions, I would like to take up his agoric alternative, agoric. First, there is a fatal flaw which not only vitiates Konkin's agoric strategy, but also permits him to evade the whole problem of organization. This is Konkin's astonishing view that working for wages is somehow non-market or anti-libertarian and would disappear in a free society. Konkin right, claims... Like, oh, go, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So, so the, here's the thing. <clears throat> Wage workers automatically have a piece of their salary deducted from their earnings. That is called slavery. right? I know we've, we've spoken about this before, but like the word for that is slavery. In the antebellum south, they would keep like 95%. They would the other 5%, they would give you like food and like a little slave cabin or something. They kept 95%, let's just say for the sake of argument. Nowadays, they keep like what, 60%, 50% if you're lucky. So wage work is slavery. Um, in, in entrepreneurship, which is what Konkin is advocating for, you don't audit, you don't have that, that payment automatically deducted. You make that payment. Right? It's on you to make that payment and how much you're going to pay and when. So, so you, you, you have more control over your, your finances, over your, your tax burden. You're more apt to minimize your tax burden, not only for yourself, but also for your employees if you're an entrepreneur. So this is something that Rothbard really gets wrong. How could he, he says it's anti-libertarian. Of course it's anti-libertarian to have um, – to have you know uh the state automatically deduct money from your wages of course it is but sorry go ahead well i don't know to be fair to uh rothbard i don't know if he would be saying how do i put this uh that it's i mean obviously he would say that it is anti-libertarian for the state to take wages but i i think he's more getting at to be a wage worker per se right and which i i would say and to add to the slavery thing i actually don't think that's entirely accurate i i, I like to just think of it just like a catch little phrase because you do voluntarily enter into that agreement so and, and i know that we get into a weird area like is it consensual is it not because you the state is involved in it but that, that's more between the employer you but the, you entered into the agreement to work for <laughs> in certain individual for that those wages 
and you enter voluntarily you, into the income tax the same way that a slave enters into slavery in the antebellum south. No one, no one voluntarily pays the income tax. It was voluntarily, if it was paid voluntarily, no one would pay it. That's the whole thing. Well, you it's, it's I mean? the employer that is being uh, strong armed, whereas you, I mean, you are in a sense, but you, these were already, this was already a like a, a, a known thing when you accepted the job that you entered into voluntarily. So that to, instead of a slave, accepted it, huh? That, that same thing could be said of like a cotton picking slave. Hey man. Well, look, that, you know, maybe more like an indentured servant. It's a gray area. I, I get what you mean. It's just not the most accurate and you can get in bogged way, down the words. So that's why I'm not way, a big fan of the wage slave other than just using it just to be kind of like ironic a little bit. So like either way, like if you think about it, it's, or to it's illustrate a principle, if it's preferable not to be, it's so. literally a, a, a matter of degree. It's literally like the the again the antebellum slave owner took a lot. Nowadays the government takes a lot, but it's a little bit less than what they took back in the day. So it's like they've they've only sort of changed the mechanism a little bit. This is this is why entrepreneurship is so key, and this is what Per Byland and Israel Kirzner and Peter Klein and and so many other great Austrian economists have have said is that. You know, the entrepreneur allocates resources. So if you want to allocate resources away from the state, the only way to do that is through entrepreneurship. You're not going to do that through wage work. And that's that's sort of the whole key. The other thing, too, is look at um, take your average entrepreneur that, you know, and your average wage worker that, you know, and ask yourself, who who is more free on average? Who's more free? Ten out of ten times. It's the entrepreneur. Yeah. But I just I, I do think you get into a weird area when you do. If you are trying to really hold on to the literal use of it, because I'd almost be like a wage indentured servant would be almost more accurate in a sense, because you did agree to that that setup, and it kind of goes to the point of entrepreneur. You are able to voluntarily move yourself to more to of a entrepreneurial life. So I, you know. I think that there are different types of slavery. So like mm -hmm. like there there was chattel slavery in the old South. And nowadays we have income tax slavery. It's just two forms of um, like the same sort of same sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, I do like the use of the word as to illustrate a principle of the idea of that it's, it's not preferable to do it. But now if someone ever is like, you mean it's literally slavery, I won't hold on to it personally. I, I, I can kind of see where you're coming from, but I think it's not as... Uh, um, What's the word I'm looking for? It's not as resolute or a uh, a solid uh, term to use if you push for it. It's not the most accurate. But I also think uh, saying something is a uh, you're a wage indentured servant just isn't as catchy. Like let's be real. Right. <laughs> um, Konkin claims to be an Austrian free market economist, and how he can say that a voluntarily voluntary sale of one's labor for money is somehow illegitimate or unlibertarian. Uh, passeth understanding uh, uh, did he really say though that it was i don't feel like i don't recall no, Konkin so, saying so it was illegitimate or unlibertarian to be a wage worker it's just i do think he's kind of getting yeah he did refer to his wage slavery occasionally but it, i do feel like he was more getting at that it's preferable not to be so the idea how i read is it that like um there's like there would be less and less wage work in a, in a free society like there would be like over time, if there was more opportunities, if there was less regulations and less, there was no occupational licensing and all these different things and permits and fees, there would be less people working for twelve dollars an hour and more people starting businesses. And that's what Konkin is saying here. He's not saying that yeah. 
it's, it's somehow immoral for if I agree to work for you for X amount of dollars per hour and you agree to pay me for whatever, if we come to an agreement, that's completely fine. But what he's saying is there's going to be less of it in a, in a truly free society. Per yeah. Byland has also wrote about this. He wrote a whole book called The Unrealized, The, the Seen, The Unseen, The Unrealized, where he was talking about just this, all the different opportunities that we don't know about because the state sort of like pushes them into the dark. We don't, we don't ever get a chance to even realize them. Uh, yeah. Uh, furthermore, uh, do, 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 furthermore, it's simply absurd for him to think that the free market, of the future wage slavery or, or wait or the future wage labor will disappear. I got tongue, to, uh, tongue tied with the, with the thing. And I don't know if I've ever seen Konkin say it would disappear. I feel like this is one of those things that people deduce out of stuff he says. And I think you just kind of touched on it here. There would still be in a free society, even in Konkin's head, I believe. I mean, he's not alive to ask him. There still would be some individuals working for wage. Just that would be more of an aberration than it would be the norm, you know? Yeah. Um, so a few things. And like if you think about like all black market jobs, right? If you you are a smuggler or if you're a drug dealer or if you're doing something like that, whatever, you're working for yourself, right? You're not, you're not working a wage job. You're working for yourself. So Conkin's focusing on like all these black and gray market jobs, none of which include wage labor whatsoever. But um, the other thing too is like that I wanted to, I wanted to mention is this whole argument about how, you know, he says that, that he makes this critique of wage labor and then Rothbard takes it to this, ex this extreme where, it's like, hey, you think it's going to disappear? What kind of libertarian are you? What kind of Austrian are you? We get the same criticism about the Agorist belief regarding hierarchy, right? We don't think that there's going to be like that hierarchy is necessarily immoral, but we do think that that, that it would be a much more horizontal society in, in, if it was free. It yeah. would be much, it'd be much less top down. So like, the, the, not to say it's immoral. It's just yeah. there would be less of it. Yeah, and this, the funny thing is I feel like most of these people who say this, that when you do get them and talk to them, they do end up kind of agreeing with you. Because I've actually talked to – I had a episode uh, where I uh, did like – I talked to Hoppian, and I kind of uh, – we kind of had a lot of these same critiques. And that was one point I brought up is like uh, Konkin like, – because a lot of people accuse Konkin of being an egalitarian. And I don't think he's an egalitarian. Uh, I think it, it's kind of – and I've said before – this is something I've said before is like – uh, if your focus is egalitarianism, you'll have less of it. But if you're focused on freedom, you'll or, or uh, uh, you'll ironically have more egalitarianism. So it's like like you there right. like you there will never be a true egalitarian. Like you, there will never be a true equality of every single human being. But in a true free society, it it'd be more evened out. Like you know what I mean? Right, right. It's in like the equality only exists in terms of like opportunity. Like yeah. there's no like yeah, like what Tom Sowell said like the same man isn't even isn't even equal to himself at different times in the same day, so it's like you know that the whole the whole concept of equality is flawed and it's just it's purposely flawed for political purposes. But we can have equality in in terms of opportunity, right? We can have equal property rights for you and me and for everybody watching. We can all have the same right to the, to to not be aggressed against, and that is the whole that, that that's the whole key. Right. Independent contracting, as lovable as some might see it, is simply grossly uneconomic for manufacturing activity. The transaction costs would be far too high. It is absurd, for example, to think of automobile manufacturing conducted by self-employed independent contractors. 
Furthermore, Konkin is clearly unfamiliar with the fact that the emergence of wage labor was an enormous boon for many thousands of poor workers and saved them from starvation. <laughs> I, 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 this just seems a little bit like a bit of a straw man from Conk from uh, Rothbard, it because it's like I don't feel like it, it's kind of like a it's kind of like the idea of like it'd be like if if I was critiquing Hop Hoppa about his idea that like monarchy was preferable to democracy. And I was like, well, don't you know that Kings killed a bunch of people and democracy brought about a great like boon or whatever, or something like that. It's I mean, I guess it's actually a little bit, that's maybe a little bit more dishonest than what Rothbard did, but it's in the same ballpark. And I'm not even saying that Rothbard's doing it intentionally. I mean, he may not even really mean to do it intentionally, but it's like, I don't think he, I, I don't see why you would think Konkin wasn't aware of that. Like, Obviously, wage labor may be preferable to other forms of labor. <laughs> like, right. Know? Yeah, of course. <laughs> so I don't know. It just comes off as, I mean, maybe not dishonest, but he's either ignorant or dishonest. He's definitely strawmanning him hard here. Yeah. yeah. Big time. Yeah. If there is no wage labor, which once again, I don't think he's ever saying no wage labor, uh, as there was not in most production before the Industrial Revolution, then each worker must have enough money to purchase his own capital equipment and tools. One of the great things about the emergence of the factory system in wage labor is that poor workers did not have to purchase their own capital equipment. This could be left to the capitalist. Thus, see F.A. Hogg's brilliant introduction as capitalism and the historians. Konkin's fallacious and unlibertarian rejection of wage labor, however, allows him to do several things. It allows him to present a wildly optimistic view of the potential scope of the black market. It also accounts for his curious neglect of the white market and his dismissal of it as unimportant. Uh, in point of fact, even though the black market is indeed important in Russia, Italy, etc., is enormously dwarfed importance by the legal white market. So the Konkinian vision of black market institutions growing, defending themselves, and thus becoming the free market anarchist society of the future collapses on this ground alone. Note that black markets are concentrated either in service industries or in commodities, which are both valuable and easily concealed. Jewels, gold, drugs, candy bars, stockings, etc. This is all well and good, but it still does not solve the problem. Who will make the automobiles, steel, cement, uh, etc.? How would they fare in the black market? The answer is that they don't fare at all, just as they don't affair in the independent contracting agora. Uh, do, 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 do. Uh, the point is that these fatal gaps in the Konkinian vision are linked together. By concentrating on such objects as marijuana as his paradigm of the Agora rather than automobile, steel, wonder bread, or whatever, Konkin is able to neglect the overwhelming bulk of econ economic life to concentrate on marginalia. Only by the short uh, sort of neglect can he even begin to postulate a world of independent contractors or a world of black markets. Uh, well it's interesting because as we as we get inflation ramps up and well first of all we already saw it with the scamdemic when grocery stores were closing um and people had to revert to like alternative food sources and it's happening again as we see like grocery shelves starting to like clear and be empty because they've mismanaged the economy so so badly people are going to turn to those those same sources of food all over again it might not be the black market but it might be the gray market right that's another thing that Rothbard is doing is he's conflating the black and gray market. So like, um, I think I've told you this, I, we have, um, there's a rancher about an hour South of me who has like beef and, and, um, chicken and pork and honey and all sorts of shit. I buy it straight from him. And I don't, I told him, I don't care. I don't even want to know if it's USDA approved or FDA approved or anything like that. I don't care. I don't want to know. 
So it's like you might not get those things in the black market, but you can get them on the gray market. Yeah. I mean, in a certain sense, the the white market is almost borderline a fiction, which is kind of a point that Konkin pointed out in the beginning. I believe it was in this one where he kind of goes, it may have been Agarus Prime, where he kind of points out the fact that like you like that you can set your prices too high and you'll break a law. You can set them too low and you break a law. Like the point that the idea of like the law is just kind of like just all over the fucking place. So the idea of there even really being technically a white market is it's almost just all of it's are shades of gray to some extent. Right. Exactly. More gray. True. Yeah. Uh, Which I think that's one point. A lot of people, I think one point I always try to bring in when I'm talking about uh, agorism, this is one thing I like to stress a lot is I think a lot of the Rothbardian view and a lot of like the, maybe not so much the Hoppian view, because I feel like the Hoppian view changes this a little bit. But I think a lot of our, us end up being subjected to these binary type of thinking, whereas I think Konkin, the way he is getting at things, and, and you see this with the, the critiques that he gets, even from Rothbard, uh, it kind of is coming from this binary thinking thing, whereas Roth, where the, the vibe I get from Konkin is he's more thinking along the spectrum. So... Where he's kind of like, you know, this is kind of what I point with wage. That's part of why I don't really like the term wage slavery because it does give it this very cement and it kind of, it's very hard to defend in my opinion. Whereas it's easier to just be like, well, I mean, he's just more just saying it's preferable to be an entrepreneur. Like, why do we have to overanalyze this? Like, I mean, if you want to be a way, if you want to be work for wages, that's fine, whatever. Just, it'd probably be preferable for you if you didn't. Like, I mean, you know, <laughs> so. And that's kind of what I'm. I, I don't know. It, it, he's that's kind of what he's getting a little bit in here too. Is what uh, Rothbard's getting at a lot. I think. Um, you know. Well, I think um, he 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 does make a point about like some of these like more large scale industries like um, like, like cars. That's like, actually like, a good point to be honest. But yeah, but on. even then, even then, you still have like you still have gray markets for cars, right? Didn't we just see like a couple of years ago? I don't know if anybody remembers, like a few years ago. Um, what company was that got caught in Germany, like bypassing like like their environmental standards? I forget what the hell they were doing, but it was in the news like three or four years ago. Mm-hmm. And so like it's like we do see it happening on a large scale, right? We see, um, you know, any like Cuba has like there's like a whole embargo, so like any sort of like smuggling operation that goes on, it's all gray market stuff. So we do see it. Um, to this day, I just think that, you know, you can't have a sort of factory where you're producing cars in mass because the state's going to send in the army and shoot everybody. Yeah, which, I mean, I will I will give Rothbard credit to this, but that's kind of the point of, um, like, it, it, I guess it's one of those things like, yeah, maybe they don't have the solution for it right now, but maybe they'll figure it out later. It's kind of the point of, that, like, eventually, I think as time went on in a, you know, agoric society or whatever, it would become less and less it become more and more entrepreneurial. I'll say with something like cars, like, yes, I get it. The, the, the form that currently works right now, this mass production type of uh, format or, uh, or whatever they have now over time, it'll probably transform as you know, now you, as opposed to having like their set, a staff then now they may end up having more contracting type entrepreneurs that work from, and it slowly changes forms, but I get how, you can make the point that like, well, currently in this current system, this is the most efficient way, which is, yeah, you're right. At this current time, this is this system that works right. the best. Exactly. So, and like, you don't know, um, you know, if we, if we let the market work, you might get to a point where cars are so cheap that it's just like, maybe it does get to the point where your neighbor can make you a car for like yeah. cheaper than you can get at the dealership. Who knows? We don't know because we don't let entrepreneurs apply the creative mindset to the market. 
Yeah, and that's a. I mean, shit. You could have made the same exact argument for guns, like you know, ten years ago. And and, and there still is a good argument for it because I mean, I, you'd know better the three D printing side of things. Yeah, I mean, right. I don't think I don't think three D printing is quite to the point to where you could say it com is uh, exceeds the uh, manufacturing capabilities of whatever. But I mean, I, I don't close. know if anything. It's you could, yeah, exactly. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty close. So it's like I mean, obviously we're way far off from doing that to a car. But I don't know. There's many other ways that could, you know, different. And I mean, I, I think if you'd asked someone 30 years ago the idea of a 3D printing gun, that it would it would have sounded as bizarre to them as as it would be to us to 3D print a car now. It's it's the same right. argument. Yeah. It's the same. It's the same basic concept where people say shit like, "Well, what about the roads?" You're like, huh. right? And, and and like, yeah, don't get me wrong. We can go down like super deep autistic arguments of like, "Well, this, that, this." But the end of the day, it's kind of like, as as much of the hand wavy answer it is, it's kind of like, "Well, the free market will answer that." And there is some truth to that because it's like I don't really need to know the details. Like, it'll someone will figure it out. That's someone will true. figure out a better way to do it. All of it too, you know. Yeah. yeah. All right, and there is another vital point here too. Conkin's entire theory speaks only to the interests and concerns of the marginal classes who are self-employed. The great bulk of the people are full-time wage workers. They are people with steady jobs. Konkanism has nothing whatsoever to say to these people. I 100% and always disagree with that. I know. If this it, is the cause, worst. Because if anything, I think it's the complete opposite. Because if you are someone who is you know, self-employed and you're the whatever that first person – I don't think this, I mean, don't get me wrong. This is good. This is good for you, but I don't think this speaks as much to you to whereas for like people that are full-time wage workers, I think this has more to say to you to like, Hey, here's a blueprint of a better way to move your life towards that will be, I mean, even in the sense of if you want to be some sort of Liberty warrior, it'll be better in that sense. And if you want just to have a more fulfilling life in general, it's a better way to go. So like, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't agree with this. I get what he's getting at, and I'm sure I'm kind of stepping on where he's going with it. It's almost this, like, because uh, a lot of people give agorism this uh, this thing, kind of like teasing, almost like the Buttigieg thing, like where he was, like, with the, the gas. I don't know if you saw that a while ago, where he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know gas is getting super expensive, but, you know, you could just get an electric car. Yeah, and right. a, lot, a lot of people give that, that flippant answer to agorism, and it's like, okay, I'm not saying go quit your job right now go uh go do all these agorist things and ta-da like no i'm saying move your stuff like i don't know how you did how you transitioned your life over i'm sure you didn't snap your your fingers or whatever i don't know what you did before but i know for me like even then i'm still not 100 percent in the agora or whatever but i still like it was very much a slow process like with my cat business uh, as silly as it may sound that was over years that i built it up so right like an overnight thing so that's the whole thing and like that's that that is i think i think you hit the nail on the head here because like this is just evidence that rothbard doesn't understand it it's almost like did you even read what he's saying it's like how did you misunderstand it so terribly like obviously um you know anybody can go out and work a nine to five or you can go work a full-time job and then come home and work on your side hustle and like, there's there's no reason why you can't do that, and that's what most people do. That's how that's how all small businesses really um, start. So yeah. I don't know what he's talking about here. Yeah, and then your side hustle hopefully over time grows, and then eventually you can get rid of that burdenous fucking. And then you are a full time wage worker eventually, and you are an entrepreneur. So it's like, yeah. what is he, like, like that's what Conkin's whole point is. That's what I understand. It's like he's telling you, hey, you guys should go engage in disruptive entrepreneurship, and Rothbard's like. 
hey, yes, what do you mean? Everybody's everybody has has full time jobs. How can you tell them to be entrepreneurs when they have full time jobs? It's like that's the whole point. We're telling you you shouldn't do that. You should go be an entrepreneur. Yeah. To adopt to adopt Conkin's strategy, then would on this ground alone ground alone serve up a dead end for the libertarian movement? As if we don't already have like we haven't already have a dead end for the last like 150 years yeah. of libertarian movement. Yeah. Uh, we cannot win if there is no possibility of speaking to the concerns of the great bulk of wage earners in this and other countries. And once again, that's my same point before. This is speaking to the concerns. Like <laughs> I know, I know to a lot of people. If anything, I feel like this is, on one hand, the intellectual answer, and also on another hand, the the lazy answer that Rothbard's giving here. The the people who are just like, well, I have my wage job because. Because basically, in a certain sense, what you're telling people is like, hey, you should go do shit, better yourself, start building up a hustle, this, that. And they're like, oh, well, look at you all high and mighty. Like, oh, uh, and you're like, okay, well, I, I fucking did it. So, and they're like, I, okay, like, I don't, it, it, it just comes. Of all people to, to, say, to say this, this last sentence here, we cannot win if there's no possibility of speaking to the concerns of the great bulk of wage earners in this and other countries, like, Rothbard knows that everyone is a consumer, all of us, like even whether you're an entrepreneur, wage earner, male, female, black, white, in England and America and China, we all consume. That's what all humans do. We all consume. So it's like agorism speaks to the consumer, right? It's, it's about lowering prices and quality and, 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 and increasing efficiency and stuff like that. So it's like, of course, this speaks to everyone. Like, I don't even know what he, how he even makes such a blatant error like this it's very much not like um rothbard yeah which because i i don't know i just don't get it because for me that's one of the biggest things i speak of when i speak of agorism is that it's improved my life like so much and it's like i i get it like and and if anything i feel like the more interesting arguments that we have as agorists is with people who want to utilize political involvement I feel like that's more interesting argument because, but the argument that agorism doesn't improve your life in some way, the political stuff aside, I feel like it's kind of silly because you're like, well, what, what are you talking about? Of course, this, like, it's just, just like developing multiple revenues of of, of income, you know, uh, uh, you know, because like kind of backing your life off from the standard American thingamajig that people think of. I don't right. know, you having more time to yourself, being able to set your own schedule, like, uh, you know, ideally eventually getting to the point where you're even making more money, money independent wealth. Like, right. I, I don't know, like, I, I just don't, I mean, I, the, the biggest thing, I know a lot of people then would say from the political side of things, they would make the point of like, oh, well, you're not doing shit for other people. And like, obviously we would argue against that, but like that, I feel like that's a better argument than this isn't good for most people. Like, no, this is the best argument for agorism. Like, we're not doing anything as we're like, like smuggling like a family of children, like across the border to like safety or, or like getting like, like some, like, like a like a cancer patient, like, like marijuana or something, or, you know, it's like, we are the ones acting heroic. If anything, it's the entrepreneur that's acting heroic. The entrepreneur is a hero in, in a free, free market economy. Uh, yeah, I, I just want to bring up. Uh, you're kind of doing all the same stuff. You're just pointing out uh, straw man's in here, bud. Uh, liberty can only be achieved by living in the woods with your head up your butt, training chickens for soy lattes, and hoping the state disappears. Let's. I don't. We've literally never said any of that, but okay. Uh, and we've already addressed a lot of this stuff. Uh, you fail to recognize that wage labor is higher compensation is far more appealing to most people in agorism. Rothbard is right again. You know what? And to play on, uh, I'm not. I I agree. It is more 
appealing. Like I don't get to most people. I don't, I don't really get how that's a point in any regard. If anything, you're like, I could bring up Papa and be like, well, time preference. Like, okay, well, you know, the state has fucked your time preference and we're trying to tell people to have better time preference. And in the end, it'll work out better for your life. If you're just able to delay gratification a little bit. <laughs> I, I, just, I mean, like who, who would, would prefer wage work to entrepreneurship? I, 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 I can get it from a low time preference perspective. I can get it. If you're not thinking for the future. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yeah, right. So yeah, if you're like a point. derelict, if you're a degenerate or something like that, you don't care about your future. You, you don't know. All right. And it's like, yeah, I don't mind. I'll take like some shit job. Well, not even that. Like, it's, also what we've been told. it's also what we've been told is the right thing. It's also like, it is a, like, there is, like, there's, you, you, it is like, okay, I have this set amount. It's dependable in your head. Like when you don't think about it deeply, but then over time when you start thinking about more and then you start thinking in a longer time horizon, then you start realizing like, oh, it's it is, I, it'll be better to set up like you become more entrepreneurial in a sense. So uh, I, I don't know. Uh, it, but I mean, that, that's the last I'm going to bring it up. I just thought it was kind of silly. He was uh, just kind of straw manning a bunch of shit, but whatever. Um, where the fuck was I? Uh, okay. It is the same thing with tax rebellion, which presumably serves as part of the agorist strategy. For once again, it is far easier for someone who doesn't earn a wage to escape the reporting of his income. Yeah, that's kind of the point. The whole point. <laughs> <laughs> what is he talking about? Um, it is almost impossible for wage earners whose taxes are, of course, deducted off top by the infamous withholding tax. Yeah. Uh, once again, it is impossible to convert wage workers to the idea of non-payment of taxes because they literally have no choice. Yes. That's, that, see, that's okay. See, this is what I want to say wage slavery. They literally have no choice. You don't well, have a choice. They do have a choice. They don't have to have that job. Yeah. Okay. Then you can be an entrepreneur. Yeah. yeah well, exactly. Yeah. That's the choice. That, that's why I don't like the, the term slavery. Because it, like it is. But think about it. the choices you either are, as Rothbard says, you have literally have no choice or you're an entrepreneur, which is what we're saying. So it's either slavery or freedom. It's it's wage slavery or, or agorism. Yeah, even Rothbard says it here, which is just—it's insane to me that he—that he is like he's not understanding how he's—he's he's contradicting himself here. Yeah, uh, once again, it's impossible to convert wage idea uh, workers to the idea of non-payment of taxes because they literally have no choice. Conkin's airy dismissal of taxation as being in some sense voluntary again ignores the plight of the wage earner. No, it doesn't. That's the whole point. Um, the whole point. Yeah, which is the point is because then if you wean yourself off the wage stuff like don't get me wrong if you're an entrepreneur you probably will need to to some extent uh, claim taxes because i mean just depending on what gig you got going on you're depending highly depending on what you're doing like if say if you have some big entrepreneurial venture going on that's really high visibility you'd be borderline a retard not to claim some sort of taxes right <laughs> so right. No, I mean, if you're if you're just selling chickens or selling eggs on the side of the road in some country area, I mean, no one's gonna care. <laughs> like, I mean, it depends on what you're doing. Um, no, no, I don't think anyone's really saying you have to 100. Uh, you know, but yeah. Anyways, I'm afraid indeed that there's only one way to eliminate the monstrous withholding tax. Dare I speak his name? It is political action. It is no accident again that the entire spectrum of the black market movement from black rebel or from tax levels to agorists theoreticians are almost exclusively self-employed. Uh, yeah. Uh, to echo Conkin's distinction, black marketers might well benefit themselves in the micro sense, but they have no relevance to the macro struggle for liberty and against the state. 
Indeed, in a kind of reverse invisible hand, they might even be counterproductive. He's completely misunderstanding. Like, again, it's almost like he did. Did you even read it, Rothbard? Because, like, the whole point of organizing in a counter-economic sense is to defeat the state at a macro level. So it's like, I, I don't know if he maybe he he definitely didn't understand what Conn was saying. I don't. I'm, I'm. I question whether he actually even read it. To be honest with you. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, to be fair, it's Rothbard, so it's like I honestly wouldn't be. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not even saying that. In the, in hey, the, uh, was brilliant. Otherwise, but this yeah. is just like the worst thing he ever I, wrote. I mean, he was a big, a big dog in the movement. So I wouldn't be surprised if he kind of, uh, just kind of leafed through it. You know, <laughs> so, right. I True. mean, I'm sure he had a lot of shit on his hand. He he wrote an insane amount of shit. <laughs> so, yeah. It's literally his movement. So yeah. Um. Do do do. Um. Yeah. It. I I don't know. I don't like the idea of people trying to make it like sound like it's counterproductive. Uh, but whatever, I, I'm not going to go off on that tangent. Uh, it is possible that the Soviet black market, for example, is so productive that it keeps the entire monstrous Soviet regime afloat and that without it, the Soviet colla- uh, system would collapse. This does Here's not mean Rothbard, a- the, the, the number one free market economist in history denouncing the free market. OK, so think about what's going on here. Rothbard is telling you that, hey, maybe the market is actually propping up the Soviet regime. Right, that's unheard of. It's like Rothbard should should sense the the contradiction in his own words here. Sorry. Yeah. Once again, Liberty's in the in the in the chat saying stuff that I, I I I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe that one might be fair. I don't know. Not entirely though. Uh, this does not mean, of course. I, I'm not gonna lie. I'm a little bit of a spurg, and I keep being like, "Want to bring it up?" the slaves say, right? It's like, hey, just stay in the plantation. So you know. It's what does he say? It's it's a much safer career path, right? It's it's not inherently correct, but it is preferable, right? That's I, I will say he's I, I I mean maybe I did say that, but if I did say that I didn't mean it because I will say okay, once again, I'll bring it up delaying gratification, engaging risky low pay behavior instead of a solid and safer career path is not inherently inherently correct or preferable. Risky low pay behavior. That's also for one, you're assuming low pay. Uh I mean crews make more than wage workers most of the time. Yeah, but but either way is not inherently correct or preferable. I'd say in most cases it's preferable. Although I would say you're correct. There are definitely probably instances in which a, which being the uh, – because, I mean, there are probably certain career paths that you, it's pretty – I mean, even then you can still be more agoristic, but maybe you would be a, a, a wage worker. And there are definitely probably are instances because it's everything's up to subjective Imagine values or probably are instances. But this is – I don't know. This is getting in the woods. Generally speaking, it's preferable to be an entrepreneur. But imagine, Cole, <laughs> like, let's say your, your income tax rate is, let's just say, for the sake of argument, 60%. So you're getting strong arm for 60% of your check. This guy's calling, he says that that's safe, right? So it's like it's safe to be strong armed. Hey, at least you know that they're going to, that every week, that yeah. strong arm is going to be the same amount and they're not going to shoot you. you like, know that's what? insane. That's how slaves talk. You know what though? The the funny thing is that the, the safe idea is actually I as time goes on, the real the more I realize that's bullshit. And that's part of the reason why I actually think it's safer to be an entrepreneur because you're more independently wealthy, you have more control of your wealth. Of uh as opposed to someone else having control over it. Because we are getting to a time like what there were people getting like organs turned away for not getting a vaccine. Like they weren't able to get or like so like the idea of that you want to have a job that is very tied up in the legality of the insaneness of the state. That's uh, the other thing too, like, especially <laughs> after the scandemic. I'm glad you brought that up. Look at what the wage workers went through. They went through hell. 
right? They were they got shot up like a bunch of times. They got shit shoved up their nose. They got they got to stay home. They had a, it was like their lives were turned upside down. You know you know what happened in my life? Nothing. I went to the beach more. That's it. That's that's <laughs> literally the the change that I had. I had less people to bother me on the beach, so I spent more time relaxing. It's like I don't understand why like how this is even a hard thing for people who vet like anarchists who value freedom. The the discrepancy between wage work and entrepreneurship should be a no-brainer. It really should. Yeah, and I get it. I mean, everything's up to subjective value, which is even something Konkin said multiple times. So, I mean, it's kind of the whole point of not everyone has to be the 100% in the black market. It's all up to your subjective value. But just in the same way, you can be a wage worker and consider yourself an agorist. Maybe you can make certain decisions here and there that are more agoristic. But, you know, depending on what your given career path is. Like, for example, say you want to be a doctor. Like, uh, I mean, you're going to have a harder time, you know, going off the beaten path with that. Uh, and being able to practice your trade, although there probably are certain avenues. Oh, there's tons you're doing. Of them out there. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's tons of, of course, doctors. I know a yeah. handful of them. Um, I won't name any names, but if you need like uh, someone to look at you off the books or something, like they don't mind, they'll do it. And and that again, I think that look at look at the scamdemic. Some of these black and gray market doctors, the ones who lost their licenses, are higher quality medical practitioners. Than the ones parroting the state's narrative. So again, who is more efficient, the black market or the white market? The black market. Yeah. Uh, this does not mean, of course, I scorn or oppose a black market activities in Russia. It's just to reveal some of the unpleasant features of the real world. There are other problems with the Goric concept. I tend to side with Mr. Piro Egon in his dispute with Konkin. For the black market, if it develops at all, is going to develop on its own. I see no role whatever for Mr. Konkin, the new libertarian alliance, or the movement of the libertarian left. Konkin speaks correctly of the division of labor. Well, nowhere does the division of labor manifest itself more clearly than in who succeeds in entrepreneurship. If the black market should develop, the successful entrepreneurs are not going to be agorists Agric theoreticians like Mr. Konkin, but successful entrepreneurs, period. I mean, I don't really get how that's really even a point, really. I mean, I don't I, think Konkin ever argued that, like, against that. Uh, okay, go ahead. Saying, well, the black market is all like like shady criminals. These aren't people who want freedom and liberty. They don't understand philosophy and, and politics and economics. Like these are like the low, like the bottom of the barrel. But like that was the whole point of like Konkin was the first. Like the whole point is to spread and grow the philosophy to create more and more of us. Yeah. All right. What do they need with Konkin and his group? I suggest nothing at all. There is a hint in NLM that on, that libertarians would a priori make better entrepreneurs than anyone else because they are more trustworthy and more rational. But this piece of a nonsense was exploded by hard experience a long time ago. Do you want to touch on what do they need with Konkin and his group? I suggest nothing at all. I find that kind of silly because even if we were to accept Rothbard's premise here that uh, more people would that when it comes to entrepreneurship, the people who you know, succeed or just those who succeed, whether they're agorists or not. Uh, what do they need with Congress group? I suggest nothing at all. Well, I mean, wouldn't you want them to be more agoristic? Like, why would you, or more libertarian or whatever? Like, I don't, I don't get what his point is. Like, what do you mean? What do they need with Congress group? If anything, this is more of an argument for agorism that like, Hey, more libertarians should ex ex inject themselves into the entrepreneurial markets. That way they can influence other entrepreneurs to be, to have this sort of thought pattern. So I, I, I don't know. It just seems a weird point to me. I, don't, I think well, it's I think, a wrong point. I think, I think Konkin is saying <clears throat> that what he said, what he's, he's saying is that libertarians would be better entrepreneurs because we're such, we're such good and honest people. And Rothbard yeah. is saying, Hey, 
I know a bunch of libertarians who aren't good and honest people. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. And I think in a certain sense, they're both really right, but it's not, none of this is really relevant yes. to the, the actual topic at hand of whether or not agorism is the right strategy or not. I mean, yes. I don't see how either point point is relevant. That was kind of my point. I, I don't really, I didn't think that was really relevant. The point that right. when it comes to entrepreneurs, the people who will succeed are those who are good at it. And, and that doesn't necessarily mean they'll be agorists. And it's kind of like, well, okay, well then, then shouldn't we push for more agorists? Like, right, it'd, right. it'd be better to have more libertarians in that space than less, wouldn't right. it? <laughs> like, like if, I don't know, like, especially where we're, we're really all up in that. All right. I did, 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 do, Neither do the budding black marketeers need Mr. Conk and his colleagues to cheer them on and free them of guilt. Again, experience has shown that they define their own and that urging them on to do to black market activities is like exhorting ducks to swim. Yeah, but think um, about how many people, how many ducks wouldn't be swimming if, if like some of the mother wasn't pushing them there. Mother wasn't showing them how to swim. It's like you have to sort of like help people and, and steer like you have to show them what they're doing. Right. Otherwise, they're just sort of just floating in the ponds uh, yeah. i mean it doesn't really make much sense to me and think about how many black market entrepreneurs you'll, you'll read a couple stories when you get to anti-politics um of people who would would never be behaving and never be engaging in these markets if it wasn't for the purposes of freedom yeah i just i, I don't know i guess this, this is one of those like it's I, I don't even really get what his point is entirely and it's even even whatever his, his point doesn't seem to be relevant or even really attacking a point Konkin ever made. <laughs> so, no, I know. I know. Really. It's, it's really weird to see Rothbard go down this path. I, I often wonder what else was going on. Like on his, what was, what else was on his plate at the time that he yeah. wrote? Because maybe he was like, um, I don't know, under the influence of Rockwell or, or hop at the, at the time. And he was really like dedicated to a more paleo strategy. And that's why he was so dismissive of this. I don't know, but this is definitely one of the worst things Rothbard ever wrote. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I've I've yet to obviously. I'm yet to. Re I've only read this once before now, and this is the second time reading it through. So my impressions so far are like, I mean, this is still like a smart man's refutation, but it's still like I, I expected more so far out of Rothbard. I mean, there might be more later, uh, but although, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe it's just someone who really hasn't completely. But I guess how much is to be expected from the leading intellectual to really some random to dissect some random guy's work and us just some asshats later being like, look, he didn't really do a good job breaking it down. <laughs> like, I mean, I don't know. All things considered. <laughs> it's funny. It's funny this debate was actually continued. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's, so this is like the middle of the debate. Like it actually started in, in the 70s with, with, uh, between these two. Because Konkin called out Rothbard in like the Libertarian Forum, which was an old, old like Libertarian like newspaper. Then this, and then after these guys died, Per Byland and Peter Klein. Peter Klein assumed the Rothbardian position, and Byland the Konkinian position. They, they 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 were still exchanging papers as recently as like five or ten years ago. Yeah. <laughs> All right. When we consider the vital importance of wage work, black markets are already severely limited and the agorist scenario for the ultimate libertarian goal falls apart. And then there is a final stage where black market agencies use force to defend illegal transactions, tax rebels, etc. against the state. Do, 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 do. Although Konkin doesn't acknowledge it as such, this is violent revolution. It is simply an historical truth that without exception that no violent revolution 
has come close to succeeding in a democratic country with free elections. Oh man, so that it's way like, it's hard too. I don't, I don't get what he's pointing. It's like how could how like it's so I don't understand how Rothbard can come to these conclusions. It's like if you are punishing someone for a violation of property rights. How could Rothbard think that that's violence? <clears throat> I, I I just don't understand where he's coming from on, on any of this. It's just a weird string of logic to me too. Like and that no people, violent revolution has come close to succeeding in a democratic election, democratic country with free elections. Well, I mean, I I, I don't know if you read his work, he laid out like, like this would be something further along once they've built up the all the infrastructure. So it's not like. I mean, it's not like this is just some random, disparate revolution that just, you know, like but a bunch of fucking yahoo. That, that the execution of property rights for for Murray Rothbard, yeah. like the premier property rights economist, to claim that the execution, the just execution of prop of a property claim, could somehow be violent, is just I don't. It's just I don't. I don't. I have a hard time wrapping my head around it. It also the, comes off as conflating of terms to me. Because you know some words almost have different uh, – and like we'll have uh, – like I know this is a common religious thing. I used to be big in the atheist thing. Like faith can have different meanings. And you'll have a common thing where you talk to someone about like faith, or, like why they believe something. And they'll, they'll play this hide-the-ball thing where they'll use it one way where it, where it has – the word has one definition. And they'll reuse it in a different sense where it has a different definition. And that's kind of what I get here out of this. Like although Konkin doesn't acknowledge it as such, this is violent revolution. And what he's referring to is using force to defend illegal action, transactions, tax rebels, et cetera, against state. And Conkin even did refer to this as a, as a, as a revolution. But let's be real. The revolution, or like the agoristic revolution, or the specifically in the context of the term, or the context of using force to defend oneself, because he's not even saying to use it offensively. He's just saying in a defensive manner um, to protect yourself from the state is a revolution. Sure, kind of, but it, but to then like kind of string jump that to violent revolution, that brings to mind something very differently. It's like he's playing hide the ball with terms. I mean, he may not do it in per, um, on, on purpose, but when I hear violent revolution, I think 1776, and that's not what Conkin's talking about at all, like and, and at all, at all. For, for the so, record, um, uh, for the record here, I don't think that um, where were we here? Hold on one second. I lost my train of thought. I also lost my place. We're on page 84 or like uh, two-thirds. Yeah, yeah, something. yeah. Although Konkin doesn't acknowledge such as violent revolution, blah, blah. Free elections is the last two words. Be read. Yeah, I forgot. What I, was, I forgot my point. Okay. Well, we can keep moving. Uh, we're kind of we're kind of focused on that point. I just I found that I I don't know to, for the logician that Rothbard is that kind of kind of kind of vexed me a little bit. Yeah, same. Because <laughs> um, it, it just like I don't feel like that even like that logical train follows there really. And then it, it, they're almost while I don't know if he was necessarily doing it intentionally, he kind of it, it kind of played hide the ball with terms with the violent revolution thing. Where because I feel like what Konkin is referring to is different to the way he's defining violent revolution here. And Konkin never hid the fact that this was that, that this comes to blows, right? He never yeah. hid that at, at all. In fact, I think like this is something that him and Lefebvre like disagreed about. Like yeah. he he agreed that yeah this does come this does come down to like like a clash here. But I don't think that you can call like you said, I don't think you can call like the like a defensive use of force isn't violence to me. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it isn't, it isn't. I mean, this is where, like, my point when it comes, like, terms. Like, you can say violence and mean it in one way and what one definition and say violence and mean it right, another yeah. way with different definitions. And that's kind of the point I was getting with the violent revolution thing where it's like, okay, but what Rothbard is kind of implying is 1776, whereas Conkin's more implying, like, you know, don't fuck with me. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> um, all right, so that way is Bard too, and it hasn't it hasn't succeeded all that often, even in the dictatorship. The Soviet system has now been oppressing its citizens citizens for over sixty years, and there's been a widespread black market all the time. Yet there is still the Gulag. Why hasn't the black market developed into a Konkinian Argora or even hinted as such? No, isn't that much proof of the opposite though? Isn't that proof of the strength of counter economics? The fact that even in Stalin's Gulags, you can have a black market. Even in the most oppressive place, in the most oppressive country in the history of man, you still have counter-economic activity. That's not a slight. That should be. That should be a, a, a like something that we should like, like a mark to our to our credit. I think the point he might be getting at. Maybe I'm reading it wrong there. I think the point he might be getting at is that in even in there hasn't been a Konkinian situation in which it, they have had a violent revolution or something along those lines that has resulted in what uh Konkin or somewhat resulted in what Konkin's implying it which to me kind of comes off as the same sort of argument as like anarchism's never been tried or whatever which I know obviously well, it's like, again, historical examples but you know the last section here is a whole list of examples of places where this actually happened from Gandhi's um the way had gone to use counter economics to get rid of the British, even in a lot of these these um, in the Soviet Union, there's some good examples in there, and also like former Soviet satellite republics were literally completely crumbled by counter economic activity. So Rothbard again is just completely wrong about this one. Um, in fact, they do sort of they don't turn into like Ankapistan or the Agora, but they do become considerably more more free more liberalized because of counter-economics. It's only after these, these counter-economic revolutions happen, like the one in Romania, for example, that killed Ceausescu, it's only after these revolutions happen that another group of bandits comes in and establishes another state. We do our job. We get rid of the, the, the pests. We're like the exterminator, the Igoras. We come in, we kill the rats, they die, they go away. But more rats can come in. That's not, our, that's not on us. That's on the exterminator. That's on the homeowner. Yeah. No, much as I love the market, I refuse to believe that when I engage in a regular market transaction, uh, buying a sandwich or a black market transaction, driving at 60 miles per hour, I advance one iota near the libertarian revolution. Straw man of like the century. Yeah, um, I'm not even really going to address that. I don't really know. How to, <laughs> like That's almost like a non-point. Right. I, 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 I mean, maybe they had more beef than I realized, him and Konkin, so maybe that's why it's kind of coming off well. a little bit uh snippy <laughs> I, I don't i mean i don't know all the history i'm not a i'm not a drama historian so i don't know um i advance it definitely does read like someone who he's writing to someone who kind of sort of pissed him off a little <laughs> uh i advance one iota near the libertarian revolution oh i read that the black market is not going to be the path to liberty and libertarian theoreticians and a uh, activists have no function in that market I think this is why the only real activity of Mr. Konkin and his colleagues is confined to annoying members of the Libertarian Party. See what I'm talking about? It's, it's, it's like snipping. We're still uh, doing that shit, though. <laughs> the party uh, Conkin, or, uh, Rothbard ends up leaving. But uh, this hectoring may be bracing for the soul of some party members, 
but it scarcely serves to satisfy the lifelong commitment that Konkinians have to the cause of liberty. No, agorism is a dead end, and to use an old Stalinist term is objectively counter-revolutionary. Uh, well, it is appropriate that he's using old Stalinist terms here. Yeah. All right, we have the problem of, uh, of organization. I think we're going to do that, and then we'll probably kill it. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I turn now to Konkin's critique of the current libertarian movement in NLM and other writings. There are three basic threads in this critique which are entirely distinct, but which Konkin generally confuses and conflates. There are the problem of hierarchical organization, the problem of the Coctopus, and the Libertarian Party. All three problems we still are dealing with today. Yeah. All, and, and when the Coctopus, you can just cross it off and write Cato in there because that, that's what it is nowadays. That's what it's become. But yeah. sorry, go ahead. Uh, nothing. I, I was laughing at the chat again. I'm not even going to address it this time because it's, it's just silly. Uh, from the person who's been strawmanning the, in the chat the entire time to say that we don't understand Konkin's position and that, <laughs> that we're saying that Rothbard's strawmanning. All right, whatever. Generally, and you know, I'm not even saying uh, all of Rothbard's strawmans are intentional. I mean, they may, may or may not be. Um, it may just be misunderstandings. Generally, Konkin lumps them all together and thereby refuse, uh, confuses all these issues. We must unpack them. Let us do so by first assuming for the sake of argument that, that there is no libertarian party, and that there are simply other libertarian institutions, organizations, institutes, magazines, or whatever. Uh, would Konkin's complaints disappear if the LP collapsed? Clearly not. For there runs through his writings an attack, but only on hierarchical, hierarchical organization, but on organization per se. No, just on political organization. Yeah, really. yeah. This uh, this is what a lot of people do. I think they miss the point of what Konkin's kind of getting at is the political aspect. Like, like he was, he he was, he started the the Carl Hess Club. Um, he started all these organizations. He started the movement of the libertarian left. I don't know if that's my mic or your mic. Somebody, somebody sounds funny. There you go. That's better. Me? Okay. It, um. But like he started all these organizations, and then you're going to call him anti-like organization. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he is against joint against joint stock companies because they are organized hierarchically. Uh, I don't. I, where I don't is he? Where Where is this? Uh, I don't, I don't remember he, him ever saying joint. No, stock in fact, I, I I know where. I can, I can point to places where Congan comes out in favor of joint stock companies because he says that they're the. Agorist friendly alternative to corporations because corporations exist via state charter, whereas joint stock companies exist via voluntary purchasing by by the individual members. So that, yeah. that's news to me. And he seems to be against all their vol voluntary organizations for similar reasons. I I, I don't think he's ever said he's. I mean I I mean you, you no. probably know more about him than I, I do. I have never heard anything like he that. He not only opposes wages. I mean maybe there might be more behind the scenes that we weren't aware of. I don't know. Uh, he not only opposes wages, he also wants only individual alliances and not organizations at all. I mean, I've never gotten that vibe from any of Conkin. Maybe that's the case of something he said in private to Rothbard. I doubt it. Even even, <laughs> it, even if it was true, like that's not something that, that's inherent to agorism. It might just be like an individual quirky idea that, that, that Conkin had, which again, I have never heard anything to suggest that he, thought, he felt that way. Yeah. Uh, all right, I keep saying I'm not going to do it. Some variant of I don't understand has been uttered dozens of times on this show, yet points you don't like are branded straw man. When I say I don't understand, what I'm saying is I don't understand the point he's getting at. Because it, uh, what I mean is in the context of addressing critiques of 
Konkin's work that a lot of the points that Rothbard make seem to be in error if that is your intention. <laughs> so he seems to be missing the point of the assignment in some in some spots is what I mean when I say I don't understand. It's not that I literally don't understand it. I get the point he's making. I just don't understand it in the context of a rebuttal to Congress right. points. Same, same. Yeah, like I understand. I understand that he's he's being nonsensical. I, I just don't understand the the logic behind some of the things that he's saying. Yeah, and 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 yeah, points you don't like. I mean, it's not a matter of don't like. I mean, just sometimes they just are a straw man. I, I don't know because there, there's points that aren't really what he said. I mean, Conkin never said that driving 60 miles an hour was was a black market activity or is going to bring us closer to a libertarian revolution. That's obviously a strong. I mean, he did. I think he I, did. I think, make, I think he did make a point that. about truckers, but that's a little bit different than just plain I, driving 60. But I think I think Rothbard <laughs> is like intentionally throwing a straw man in there for yeah. like like literary. Yes, 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 yes. You know what I mean? I, Which yeah, is fine. I, you can do that. I don't think. Yeah. I think he's just throwing a little flair on there. Like I do, right. I do, I do get a vibe. These two did not like each other. <laughs> well, Rothbard was a good writer. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he, yeah. he's in sort of like in the same fashion as Mises, where if like you read Mises, he's like a fucking like boxer in the in the like when he's like arguing with you. And Rothbard sort of draws from that tradition. All right. First, there is neither uh, uh, nothing either unlibertarian or unmarket. But a voluntary organization, whether John Stock or any other, I feel like we're going to kind of cruise this part because a lot of stuff we've already brought up that I don't even think these are critiques Rothbard or Congan's ever actually made because I don't remember them. Uh, so it seems to be, seems to be from the little, I'm kind of skimming a lot of this shit here. It seems to be he's kind of going on this big uh, rant on stuff that it seems like Conkin hasn't said or I'm not aware of him saying and you aren't either. So I, I don't know. I don't. Maybe there was a misunderstanding somewhere, or there was some sort of personal interaction, or some shit. I don't know. Either way, I'm just giving you guys a heads up, as if we don't talk a lot, because a lot of this stuff is in reference to stuff that I don't think he's. I'm not aware. He said, "People organize because they believe they can accomplish things more effectively that way than through independent contracting or ad hoc alliances, and so they can." Yeah. Um, so one, they are not immoral or unlibertarian. I, I don't think they are. Uh, I don't think I'm, I don't think conquered it either. Uh, two, they are the only way by which almost anything can be accomplished. I would say Conkin probably does agree that working together is probably the only way things can be accomplished in a lot of ways. Um, whether it is making automobiles or setting up bridge or chess tournaments, Conkin suggested floating affinity groups can accomplish very little and that when only a handful of people are involved, uh, but if more than a handful wish to cooperate on joint tasks, whether steel making or chess or tournaments, an organization becomes necessary. Organizations, of course, you got something to say? I was going to say giant. That was all one big straw man, and I don't know. Like again, I don't like. I don't know. The, the last guy told us we're, we're just calling everything a straw man here, but I don't know where Conkin said that organiz organizations are inherently unlibertarian or immoral. I mean, I'd have to somebody have to point. That in the text where Conkin says organizations are immoral and, and unlibertarian. I don't, I've never read him say, I've never read anything like that. As far as I know, I've read all of his books. So, I mean, I, I don't know. That's to me, that is the definition of what a straw man fallacy is. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. Organizations, of course, create problems and it's really pointless to go on about them. If more than three or four people wish to engage in a joint task, then some people will override the wishes of others. Uh, and there are bound to be power struggles, faction uh, fights, and all the rest. Even corporations, which have to meet a continuing profit test, 
have these problems, and the difficulties are bound to increase in nonprofit organizations where there is no instant profit and loss feedback. So organizations create problems. So what? So does life itself or friendship, romantic relationships, or whatever. Once again, I don't recall Konkin ever having his issue with organizations. It's just specifically political organizations. Like, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't. I feel like this is like kind of a response to him being against political organizations, but then kind of intentionally, maybe not intentionally, but whether intentionally or accidentally or missing the point, kind of letting dropping the political part, which like, well, that's the key fucking part. Again, though, like, <laughs> this guy started the movement of the libertarian left. He started the Carl Hess club. He started, um, the, the new libertarian notes, all these different organizations. Yeah. How could you call them anti-organization? That's clearly not what's going on here at all. Yeah. Uh, most people think the drawbacks are worth it and are more than compensated by the benefits of working forward and achieving joint goals. If not, they can always drop out and not belong to an organization. In a free society, they have that privilege. And of course, we are talking here about voluntary organizations. I don't think Konkin disagrees with any of that. I suspect Mr. Konkin and his colleagues don't like to join organizations. I don't think he ever said that. So be it. But those of us who wish to accomplish various goals will continue to do so. And it seems to me we are at least entitled to the acknowledgement that there is nothing in the slightest unlibertarian about organization, hierarchy, fault, leaders, followers, etc., as long as these are done voluntarily. Yes. The Konkinians... Like, oh, go ahead. No, you go ahead. You can finish it up. Oh. If the Konkinians fail to acknowledge this primordial libertarian point, then their libertarian bona fides can, uh, would come into serious question. So, like... So, like... Um, what does he say here? Um, those of us who wish to accomplish various goals will continue to do so, continue to join organizations and, and such. The ironic thing about this is that the people who join the Libertarian Party accomplish nothing. Okay, the people who join this this political organization, which is what Kong is warning about, the people who who forget about his his warning, they pay no heed to it whatsoever. They still join these political organizations. They accomplish nothing. That is, and that's, and Rothbard is saying the opposite. He's saying, so we want to accomplish something. So we're going to, we're going to join these, these, the Libertarian Party or the Republican Party or whatever. They have accomplished absolutely zero. In fact, that's not true. They have accomplished an increase of statism over the years, right? Like either they have succeeded in creating our current state of tyranny or they've been powerless to stop it. So in either case, they have accomplished nothing. So I don't know what Rothbard is talking about here. Yeah, I, I don't. I, I don't really know what to make of that. I think now I kind of like. like what I know it's, it's it's so, I sounded like Dave. Okay, and I'm not at all trying to cast aspersions to Dave. And I think maybe this kind of can see makes me kind of realize kind of where Dave was coming at a little bit with that. Uh, with the thing we had, because uh, some of the stuff he was saying, I can see where the conceptions come from from what Rothbard said. Maybe he read more of that. I don't. I don't know specifically if he read all of it and he, or if he focus more on the Rothbard critiques because I can see where some people if they only read the Rothbard critiques where they would get off on the wrong foot on agorism because they get it seems to be there are a lot of things I do want to I keep saying I'm not gonna bring this up but what seems more probable the great Rothbard is engaging in nonsensical arguments and straw men over and over or the agorists are missing something when Rothbard critiques Konkin this would make sense if Rothbard was referring to something like Rothbardian or some shit, we're literally talking about shit that like Konkin's work, which is a very small, which is only a f not that much stuff. And like, we're literally people who have read it multiple times and we're telling you, I mean, sure, maybe we're wrong. I mean, show me where we're wrong, but 
He is multiple times throughout this engaging in arguments against things that Konkin never even argued for. So it's like that's where I'm kind of getting at. And then every time, every time we're like on the fallacy, liberty. Your mic is at my mic. I can't hear you. I lost you. I can't hear you. Hear me? A little bit. You there? Yeah. Oh, that was weird. And now you're back. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. Whatever. Um, yeah. But like every time we're calling out like a fallacy here, Liberty is like, that's not a fallacy, but like he fails to explain why, like like how we're wrong. So it's like, yeah. if it's not a straw man, then explain where the argument is. Just rather than saying that's not a straw man, to identify the argument then. Yeah, he says, what a favorable co uh, coincidence that Rothbard is a fool when he criticizes Agorism, but brilliant everyone else. I don't know if like, I mean, I feel like we're kind of being painted as dicks here. But I don't. I feel like. I mean, no me one can be right you, all the time. Me and you have been like. I feel like I've been trying to bend over backwards here, trying to find Rothbard's points and trying to be as gracious as possible to the points he's making, because I have an immense respect for Rothbard. I just I, and I, if anything, I tend to side with him uh, uh, instinctively. But you know, I just I can't follow his logic in some spots here. I don't know what happened. I mean, maybe. Uh, Sure, I guess it's totally possible that Sal, someone who's like made a big deal out of like agorism being a thing, has probably read all this stuff multiple times. I've read it. A, I mean, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't say I'm some deep uh, scholar on this shit or anything. That that I mean, maybe we're wrong and Rothbard's right, but it, it totally reads to me like he kind of skimmed through this and and had some arguments or I, I don't know. There definitely seem to be some misconceptions to me. I I don't know. It just comes off weird to me. I feel bad saying about Rothbard because I, I want to be like he's right about everything, but I, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I don't think I don't think there's anyone who's right about about everything. So no, it's like yeah. if, if, if like if, if this is all that Rothbard is gonna get wrong and that shit in the nineties, then 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 you know that's that's pretty good. It's more it's better than I've done in my life. Right. I yeah. was like a Republican until like Ron Paul saved me. So it's yeah. like you know, he, this is it's a pretty good record still. I just don't know yeah. where he's getting a lot of these arguments from. I think this is chock full of fallacies. And again, I don't, like you said, I don't know how much of it he actually read. I, I don't I, I don't know. Yeah, because a lot of it was responding to points he didn't make or mischaracterizing things. You know, maybe like, he, I, I also do get the, like, the impression that he like took things at face value, didn't, didn't make an effort to like understand the deeper meaning behind some of these concepts. And just kept moving along here. Yeah, I don't know what to make it. Well, I know we're at a good time here. We're almost an hour twenty. I mean, yeah. actually surprisingly, spurned a lot more conversation than I would. Uh, it's been a while since I read that, so I'm kind of, I was kind of, I, I actually was expecting. That will be good too, as we get into like the Coctopus and stuff like that, and then we get into the the Libertarian Party. That that'll be good, yeah, and then of course, uh, Conkin's response. Yes, which I'm looking forward to that. It'll. I, I thought it'd be weird that we were going to be responding and then have that, but it might actually be kind of nice to see how it matches up with some of our responses. So we'll see. It also show it'll also show where we disagree with Konkin, which I think will yeah. be interesting. People might be yeah. surprised to see that we're not always on the same page as Konkin. Yeah, no, I mean for sure. Uh, with that, you want to go ahead and drop whatever plugs you got. AgoraThreads.com for anarchist apparel, 3dprintergobur.com for 3D printers and supplies. You can pay with cryptocurrency to avoid KYC payment platforms. The book is anti-politics. Check it out on Amazon. If you want to pay with crypto, you can shoot me a DM and we'll, we'll work something out. Other than that, I'm on social media at Salvi Agoras or just Salvi Mayweather on all your different platforms. Find me.
All right, uh, I have uh, the No Way Jose. This is the No Way Jose show. You can find me on YouTube, all major auto packages, Odyssey as well. Follow me on Twitter at 2020 No Way Jose. If you want to give me money, I like that. Patreon.com just No Way Jose 2020. Uh, yeah, I know someone says shame we didn't get Conquer's response tonight. You probably, I have a feeling we may yeah. not even get to it next episode. We'll see. Because uh, we got pretty bogged down in Rothbard because uh, we were responding to his stuff, which, whatever, it's fine. Actually, I'm. This was my favorite part of the book, and it's kind of working out well as like a as a good jumping off point for conversation of like different people's critiques. Because Rothbard is kind of like one of the best of them, so it's kind of like uh, approaching his critiques is kind of a good place to start. So, um, yeah, I, I, didn't Hoppe have a didn't Hoppe have like a critique to Rothbard in some or Konkin at some point or some shit like that? Not that I'm like aware I, of. No, I feel like I vaguely recall that because that would be that would be interesting. That would be something I'd really like to see. Uh, thanks, Polio, for the two bucks. I appreciate it, dude. Uh, yeah, thanks for everyone who came out. Uh, like, share, subscribe, comment, all that good stuff. I appreciate everyone who supports our work. Uh, definitely go check me out on Tower Power Hour as well. It's uh, going to be have some fun stuff. Uh, come next month, we're going to have a pretty baller event here in Florida. And uh, we'll keep keep an eye out for more information on that. Or watch the latest Tower Power Hour. Uh, the April Cyclone Showers one where we announce it, where I think we kind of jumped the, I think we jumped the gun on that. I don't think we were supposed to announce it yet, but whatever. I'll make you get an extra view for us to check it out. Uh, but I appreciate you coming on, uh, Sal. And with that, we are out.